Welcome to another exciting episode of The Nuclear View, a weekly podcast of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies, where we want to advance peace, promote stability, and remind you to think deterrence. The views of the guests are their own. Welcome back to another great episode of The Nuclear View, where Jim Petrosky, Curtis McGiffin, and myself, Adam Lowther, have a roundtable discussion about issues of the day and what's been going on in the nuclear world. And today our topic is the B-6113. Of course, as some of you may know, the Department of Defense issued a press release on October the 27th, and I quote, Department of Defense announces pursuit of B-61 gravity bomb variant, end quote, and they also provided a fact sheet on the rationale for why the DOD wants to pursue a new variant of the B-61. And one of the main things that they talk about and that the articles that have been written over the last five days or so talk about is that they're going to take the essentially the B-61-7, which is has a larger yield of about 360 kilotons, which is much larger than the B-61-12's 50 kiloton estimated yield. And they're going to take that physics package and put it inside a B-61-12 shell, which, uh, you know, it's uh, it's got stabilizing tail fins and it's got some rocket motors that will spin it to make it, you know, it's a more reliable and accurate. And of course, the purpose of this as per the fact sheet is that some of our adversaries, essentially all of them are building deeply buried and hardened facilities that a B-6112 because of its 50 kiloton yield can't destroy. So if that is, you know, that's sort of what DOD has said. That's what the public press releases have said. But I wanted to turn it over to Jim Petrosky, our resident scientist and nuclear engineer, and get his take first on sort of what we know and what you can tell us that's that expounds upon what's already been said. Jim? All right. Well, thank you, Adam. And nice to see you again, Curtis, and to our audience. It's a, it's a pleasure to talk today. You know, I, in preparation for this, I went out and got my white lab coat for those that go to our LinkedIn site and get a chance to see our faces there in our, in our prescript. You'll see I'm wearing my lab coat with my name on it. I've got a pen in my pocket and a, and a tape and a, and a measuring stick or, better known as a ruler, I guess. And so since you guys wanted something from science, I thought I'd read you a little bit from Enrico Fermi's nuclear physics to get us started on nuclear weapons. So we'll just go ahead and start out. You know, all nuclei are composed of Z protons and N neutrons. Okay, you following along? All right. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, no, look, so I, I, I joke about this being science because there is a a lot of science that's going into this new uh, view on a weapon. And so I want to talk about two pieces of this. We'll sort of hit on both of them. My first, my most excited part of this um, that's exciting, but not so exciting is when it comes to the actual 
neutron and protons that I talked about in the uh, in the discussion here uh, from Enrico Fermi. The physics package part of this. Now, I'm not I'm not at the national lab, so I'm just talking from a scientific external viewpoint. Is that the concept of the physics package itself? I I you know don't see much new in this announcement in capability because in in, in the capability of the physics package because what we've done is we're taking what's known fundamentally in, in, in the weapon itself, what's been tested, what's been analyzed, what the scientists have developed. This is all well known. This should make people very comfortable that we have something extremely reliable. But what is interesting in this package and what I wanted to talk about is the fact that it has this capability. It puts a new capability on the market that might be quite valuable in offsetting some of the capabilities that our adversaries are, are building. The concept of it being uh, being able to replace other weapons and being able to provide multiple different yields to give us a flavor of fitting a weapon to a strategic target is really important. And why is that important? Well, we might talk about that a little bit later on, but the biggest part that's, that's there is by having this larger yield, it gives us the ability, and, and larger yield, by the way, you know, I, I had someone call contact me about this a while ago. Oh, this is going to be a giant weapon. You know, what's going to go on? And I just, you know, I, so I went back and looked in, uh, at the um, Nuclear Weapon Archive, which is on the w- website. Uh, you can you can pull it up, the Nuclear Weapon Ar- Archive. I'm just looking through there. Let's see, 300 kilotons, you said, Adam? Is that right? 340 kilotons. 360 kilotons. Well, let's see. I see a Mark 14 bomb at 5 to 7 megatons, okay? Megaton versus kiloton. We've had larger weapons and designed larger weapons in the past. But those larger weapons were designed because our capability of putting that weapon in a particular spot dead on, especially with a gravity bomb. And that was a mark. So mark bombs for those. By the way, those are those are uh, mainly, you know, W weapons, which are, you know, um, uh, weapons that are warheads. So they're on an ICBM or an SLBM. If you look at gravity bombs. Uh, let's see. I think it's a B eighty. It was a B eighty five, I believe, some time ago. It's been a while since I looked at all these different weapons. So um, yeah, but uh, uh, so we can go to megatons. B seventy seven was in the megaton range. There's no details about that. Gotten rid of that. It's nineteen seventy seven. But a gravity bomb dropped in a megaton range. The chance of it hitting the direct target and coupling on the ground in in the area of a tunnel or a or a site is extremely low. So you need higher yield. And it's the old hand grenades and horseshoes or whatever that old saying is. And the idea is if I can get a direct target, then I don't need as much yield, but I still need enough yield to cause the damage to whatever facility I'm going to hit. And this weapon provides that. And so it's a very nice way of doing that. So I want to talk, so so from a capability standpoint, this is huge. And the, the other piece that's huge is that it can be launched from a variety of our very, very sophisticated and well-designed new armaments is, uh, in, in terms of our aircraft that can fly stealthily, get in close, get in uh, and, and reduce the collateral damage that would occur if you go skipping a megaton bomb across some city to hit a target. 
okay, or whatever, you know, if, if it hit or didn't hit. And so those are the two things that I wanted to highlight right up front from the standpoint of the bomb. And I know Curtis has a couple questions there. Before I go, though, I want to say the neat thing is the, the messaging and the development of our capability through the workforce that's going to be de- designing, developing, and manufacturing this new system to get it online. And that whole thing gets exercised. So our adversaries know that we're serious. And that is a deterrent that I can't pass up on this podcast. Curtis? Well, I couldn't disagree with you more. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Next. Oh, go ahead, Curtis. <laughs> the B-6113 is a political ploy to get rid of the B-83. That's all it is. That's what I'm going to throw out here to the audience. And there's enough article out here, articles out here that that can really get you to this uh, to this idea. We know that back in 2021, uh, the Biden administration had set aside and budgeted 52 million dollars to continue to fund the B83, which is our our uh, 1.2 reported to be 1.2. Some articles have it at 1.5 megaton weapons. It's our only megaton weapon out there. Uh, in a dark humor referred to as the crowd pleaser uh, because of the big cloud it produces uh, and the, ah, I guess that goes with it. The thing about the B-83 is the goal to get rid of this weapon is they cite cost um, and, and there's, there's cost to everything. Um, We're spending nine, uh, $9 billion uh, to do the, the B-61 upgrades. So let's understand um, the B-6113, every one that's converted to a 13 comes out of the planned stock of the 12 upgrade, um, which means we're trading one for one. And the the DOD and, and, and the administration is very clear that they're not adding any new weapons. They're just taking smaller weapons and making them into slightly bigger weapons. Well, let, let Curtis, me... Curtis, I'll, I'm, I want to jump in there. There's more than making it bigger. And, and this bigger is better is not necessarily a good trade off because a smaller nuclear weapon used in a, it, it, it's capable of being delivered in a way that its impact and effect reaches the strategic need of our planners is much better than having other we- just other weapons, you know, willy-nilly. The point here is that we have a weapon that can be tailored and designed. And yes, we're replacing other weapons, but we're not losing any in the, in the, the system. And we are building a capability to continue to build more and modern, which is really my issue, building modern weapons that interact and can be delivered by our modern systems. Well, let me counter your argument. <laughs> counter because counter my argument. Is, Go for it. We know that there's an X number of B83s. Mm-hmm. They want to retire those by re- by replacing them with already planned production of B6112s by calling them 13s. Yes, there'll be bigger booms, and I'm all for that. What I'm saying is, is that we're still at a negative loss in a time of the world where um, where we are likely to need more. Uh, capability and capacity to deter rather than less. And uh, and so the idea here is, is this is an easy win for the administration. I give them 
really good points for this because there's almost no cost to the, it's already baked in because uh, we're not adding B13, the uh, 6113s to the B6112s that we're already modernizing. We're, we're just simply, as I said, swapping one for one. So this, the end result is still the same number of bombs. Just a few more will have a little bit of a bigger boom. Hey, Curtis, uh, before, hold on. I, I got to correct something here. You said it was a negative. I'm holding an elementary partial uh, applied partial differential equations book that has a lot of math in it. If you replace one for one, it's not a negative. It's it a is zero. When it's at the sacrifice of another weapon. Okay. So he's they saying wanna... we were going to have 200, let's say hypothetically, 212s. Now we'll have 170 12s and 30 13s, but we'll also lose all of the. Yeah, say we B83s. have 100 B83s. They're all gone because the justification is we don't need them anymore because we now have the 13s. They're Warhawks. Are you happy? This is a political move to eliminate something that the, the Obama administration wanted to eliminate, and now the Biden administration wants to eliminate. They cite costs, but the reality is this is about nuclear disarmament in a time when that should be the last thing we should be talking about at this moment. I'm all in total agreement that a, a 13 of the bigger boom and a, and a much more um, 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 accurate uh, capability is a good thing. Well, let's put that accurate capability on the B-83. Then it'd be even better, right? I mean, why can't we uh, maintain? I, I, I don't understand why it has to be one or the other um, at this time when it when we ought to be talking about both. There's well, real conversations. Now, we just had an entire commission do a report to Congress saying we may need more. Hey, let, let me jump in and because I don't really want any more gravity bombs to begin with. I mean, the B-83 is a dumb gravity bomb. It's Very a 1.2. It's a 1.2 megaton gravity bomb that's dumb. And it just drops and has a really big boom. And you hope you get enough ground coupling to destroy underground facilities. The, you know, this new B-6113, it's going to reduce the CEP to 30 meters and so you'll get it accurate and you need basically one third the boom to get the same thing. That, that to me is a win. And the reason you do that instead of fix the, the 83 is because that's a whole, whole new, new completely thing. program. Mm -hmm. And so I, it makes sense. But my question is, I don't want more gravity bombs. I want more cruise missiles. I want intermediate range ballistic missiles. I want submarine launch cruise missiles. I don't want more gravity bombs because they're the hardest to deliver. They require the most air support to make happen. They're just hard. So while I agree with you that I want more, but I want different more. I don't want same more. So I'll, I'm happy to give up the 83 for a better weapon that takes the, the 12 shell and exterior, you know, all of that tail kit and all of that good stuff and just give it the requisite warhead required to, you know, destroy hardened and deeply buried targets. It's the new RNEP, I guess. And if it's the new RNEP, great. Then I, I was fine. there in Ditra when the RNEP got killed, and I can say that I was glad to see we're looking finally back 
at something yeah. that we can't call the RNEP, but it's the RNEP. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I mean, Adam, Adam, one one other thing though, and, and I'm curious from your strategic and maybe Curtis's view. So this is so I'm a glasses half full person, unlike Curtis, whose glasses half broken. But anyway, right. um but but my my uh my thought, and this was my big negative, because I agree with you, Adam. I find strategically, and I'm not a strategic guy. Remember, I'm wearing the white lab coat. So, you know, I'm the, I'm the science-y guy. But when, uh, when we think about strategy, I look, at, uh, I, I look at the triad. I understand the messaging. It goes with the triad. But when the weapons start to fly, the real deterrent that's going to move things are the missiles. Uh, because there's because like you said they don't require all this other how are this all all this other support however once the missiles fly and this is the question i have as i was thinking through why we went for a gravity bomb and one i say it starts the message so we're messaging to our adversaries we're not unwilling to get moving number two we're building the workforce to be able to build you know the 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 b2024 or the the W2024, right? Whatever that might be. But anyway, uh, but the other piece is, aren't, aren't the gravity bombs, especially these, the post-nuclear, the post-deterrent effect is going to be the bombers. They're going to be, we're going to say, you might be able to hit us, we might be able to hit you. And afterwards, our airplanes are still going to fly and take you out. Is that sort of another part of that message? No, because the bombers, I mean... Barksdale Air Force Base, Whiteman Air Force Base, and Minot Air Force Base will all be struck, and all of the aircraft on those bases will be destroyed in a first strike because we don't have bombers on alert. So, therefore, don't expect that. And, you know, let's suppose hypothetically you could get a bomber up in the air before the base was destroyed. The WSAs are the weapon storage areas, or what are they going to call them now? Weapons generations facilities. They're going to get struck, and there will be no nuclear weapons to load on the bombers. And so the problem is one in which you know, bombers are just, they're. Not, I mean, if you want to put them on alert and, and have, you know, Chrome Dome 2023, that's fine. I'd, I'd love that. But the the Air Force doesn't have enough bombers to do that and fly conventional missions. So when it comes to, you know, launching gravity bombs, we're screwed. It doesn't matter what you do. We just don't have the capability. And so the problem is you got to start relying more on ballistic missiles. You just have to. I mean, even cruise missiles launched from bombers are going to be largely useless because they'll be in the weapon storage areas as well, and those will be destroyed as well. Because that, where do you think adversaries are going to go first? They're going to go after the bombers. But that was my point, is that it looks like if, if this is truly thought through, if Curtis is incorrect, this is just a ploy to get rid of bombs, could this be a new generation of, and for our listeners who are thinking of this strategically, could this be a new way of returning to a methodology that puts our bombers on alert, that puts us in the air, that gets us ready, that has us there, so we have truly a deterrent beyond our cruise missile capability? I, that's what no. I thought of when I saw it. Yeah, you don't no, think so. we can't. We can't. We don't have the... 
we don't have the capability. Yeah, I mean, we don't have the look, will. We don't have the will. This yeah, I just say, it's just not in the political cards right now. Remember, we have to understand that the essence of deterrence isn't about war fighting, mm-hmm. nuclear war fighting. The essence of deterrence is about looking like you're ready for nuclear war fighting. True. Okay. So it, it, there is a lot to do with about numbers and capability that, uh, that exists. And I think that's one step higher, one rung higher, not to use the escalation ladder um, uh, metaphor, but is one rung higher than actually having the weapons that are um, the ones that you might actually need. I know that sounds really weird, but that's important. But what I'm saying is, is that we must also bear in mind that for deterrence to succeed, we must look ready. We must look powerful. And when all our adversaries have a megaton weapon and we don't, um, it it, it becomes a little bit um, uneasy in that sense. But let me throw the twist back at you. And the twist back at you is for the same, you know, the arguments against Slickum, the arguments made against the LRSO, nuclear cruise missile, about you know five, six, seven years ago, were that these were not instruments of deterrence. They were instruments of first strike nuclear war fighting, and therefore we should not have them. Um, and I would argue, you know, the same people who who made that argument to to the world, uh, so to speak, uh, are now the ones advocating for these these new bombs. Uh, that can be placed on stealth aircraft, which is um, in a, a uh, into the adversary's mind, you know, a a good escalatory deterrent. That is a huge difference. Mm-hmm. We have that they don't. But uh, according to some of these pieces that are out right now, there's no plan by the by the Air Force to use those on anything but bombers. These new 13s. So uh, now that could change. I understand the flexibility of the time. And so, uh, you know, I like the idea that, well, maybe they'll, that mindset will change. But if we're going to continue to rely on the bomber as a, as a genuine leg of the triad, we need to get thinking about making it a genuine leg of the triad again. And, uh, and consider the alert status of this thing. Um, The world has changed since 1991 when, when George Bush stood down the bombers, president Bush stood down the bombers, the world has changed. And they're talking about, you know, buying um, a a large number of bombers. Um, Adam did an interview recently on Nuclecast with, um, uh, with Dr. uh, Dr. Grant. And one of her three wishes was, I want, what was it? 500 B-21 bombers, I think is yeah, what I heard. That's right. And, if we got uh, that, you know, we could do, we could we could have nuclear alerts again. That well, would be more than enough. Well, that's a point, but you need all the tankers to go with it. And I'm not sure we remember how to build those anymore. So Your glass question, is half empty. <laughs> so trying to work with what we have, um, you know, uh, there's some value in that. But I don't think we should do it at the sacrifice of the B-83. And, uh, and oh, by the way, this 360 yield that we're hearing, this is pure speculation. The DOD's not told us what this yield of this bomb is going to be, right? They've, they've said it's somewhere around what the B-61-7 is. Mm-hmm. It's, it's folks like Hans Christensen, who was actually briefed by the Pentagon, according to an article by Stephen Losey, 
um, on um, on uh, defensenews.com. He was briefed by the Pentagon on this project. And it is his, I think it's probably his speculation that it's probably in the 360 range and everybody has taken that number and run off with it. We really don't know. And so, uh, so it's, it's hard to message to the adversary what, what their risk is when we're not even willing to tell um, what our capability might be. Makes deterrence yeah. much harder. Well, I, yeah, I, I agree with that messaging piece. I would say though that, that uh, since they're basing it on the, the old B sixty one seven. I think that you know they're sort of uh, showing a little bit of their cards and and how the uh, physics uh, package is configured in my in, in my view. But it's all the other components around it that are being upgraded. Which, by the way, if you go back to the nineteen nineties, were all part of the life extension process, which came about to build the RNEP and the RRW, which was supposed to be new components on old systems and, and, you know, and, and build, build a, a system that was able to be upgraded uh, much more easily. Um, I see this as a step in that direction. Um, but from a capability standpoint, I still go back to say, you know, you say 300 uh, kilotons. I, I don't know what the number is. I don't know what the target is. I don't know the calculation there, but I do know one thing. If you have a smaller uh, a smaller yield weapon that can couple better with the ground and is more accurate. So it, so it can connect to whatever the target is in the vicinity of the target. You have two good, you have two quality things that happen. Excuse me. The first is that the first is that you, um, you cause less collateral damage because you don't have to near miss and still take out the target. The second part of that collateral damage is the lower the yield, especially when you're talking about a, a weapon going off on the ground. And I know this is debatable because it depends on the kind of ground and where it hits, but a 300 kiloton weapon on the ground and a one megaton weapon on the ground are going to uh, result in substantially different fallout. And so the other collateral damage is there as well. And this is why I think of, ground weapons and especially those in a post-nuclear, you know, post-deterrent environment that we are looking at reseizing territory, reoccupying territory, et cetera, because you have to worry about that in a post-nuclear world. Yeah. I, I, I don't worry about, you know, when, <laughs> if we're going to be destroying Russian and North Korean and Chinese hardened, deeply buried targets, you know, we just want to destroy them. Yeah, I'm not I interested wanna, in occupying it. Uh, yeah, so I mean that that's that's a European theater, low yield, you know, tactical. So, problem, so all these but, war, so all these war games that we're doing to talk about second, you know, uh, second strike capability and what happens after deterrent fails, how do we regain it? Those are all useless exercises. Is that what you're saying, Adam? No, that's all about we've been struck first and we're striking back. That's, mm -hmm. right. that's not about reestablishing deterrence or anything. That's, that's retaliation and that's destroying their ability to continue to fight. So f for me, all I care about is, do you have the capability to fight and win a nuclear war? I don't, cause I I'll let the, uh, that's let deterrence. deterrence. I'll give you that. I agree. I'll let deterrence be a, a byproduct of my ability to fight and win. 
Because if the day I start planning for deterrence is the day I don't have the ability to fight and win, and that's when the adversary doesn't take me credible. And so, therefore, I want to make sure that that adversary knows I'm willing to fight, I have the ability to fight, and I damn sure know how to win. And that that's when that's when the adversary pauses and says, you know, they they can do it, and I I think they just might. And that's what I'm, you know, that's sort of where I see the the goodness of it. And so I like, you know, the the 13 for the simple fact that it is a high, it's a higher tech ability to achieve a similar effect. And and you know, when you build new weapons, you inevitably get new components in them. So You've got to always think, what is the new technology that we'll, we'll have no idea what it might be, but there's always going to be new technology because we've got labs that are always designing new stuff and that new stuff ends up in weapons. I mean, that's just how it works. And so, so, so go I'm ahead. Sorry, just for our listeners, it's, it's not a new warhead. It's just a, it's a, yep. it's a new bomb, but it's not a new warhead. Right. So um, let me ask you, Jim, real quick, as time is beginning to run out and I still have one more question after this one, but um, so there's an article or a statement in an article by, um, uh, by Alex Hollings from Sandbox News, also reprinted in the national interest. Uh, he says in here uh, in a quote, due to, the phenomenon of ground shock coupling, the B-6113's relatively high yield and accuracy will likely enable the bomb to strike underground targets with yields equivalent to a surface burst weapon of more than one megaton, according to experts. So let me ask you, Jim, um, are you part of the four out of five dentists who approve this uh, form of Trident or are you uh, bubblegum or are you against that uh, idea that ground shock coupling of say a weapon that's one third the size of a megaton uh, would have the same effect. So first of all, I think the, the argument, the way it's presented in that document is uh, a sort of a red herring in many fashions because of the following yield is yield. It's the amount of energy, you know, put out by the, the physics package itself. And so uh, that's the first piece. The second piece is um, the, the second piece is once you look at it from a yield standpoint, then it's a matter of how much energy is put out by the weapon, but all, also how much couples to the ground versus not coupled to the ground. And you lose efficiency in a higher yield weapon. Less of that yield is directed downward, if you will, you know, less percentage of it. When you have a detonation, it pushes pushes against the atmosphere, if you will, and so a, a lower yield is more lower yield is more efficient. So you can imagine seventy percent of say five hundred versus thirty percent of a you know of a, a thousand. Uh, so so there is some in there. I would not argue it's the same as a megaton weapon, except if you consider another megaton weapon that is not as accurate nor has the capability of landing on the ground and maybe penetrating the earth. Like, you know, the re uh, reliable Perth was, uh, RNAP was RNAP, uh, reliable, reliable or nuclear, nuclear earth penetrator. Earth penetrator. Yeah, 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 yeah. The nuclear earth penetrator, because once you get into the ground to get below the ground, you have a tamping effect. And so I, I think that the argument about yield 
may be more of a red herring. It's more about the technology, the ability of this weapon to be able to penetrate the earth reliably, get deep into the ground before it detonates. Because if it detonates on the surface, it's going to, you know, if you will, detonate and the energy is going to flow up into the atmosphere much more easily than it flows into the ground and you don't get the shock. You want it to be tamped under the ground so the shock interacts with the the ground itself. Does that make more sense? Actually, that so, makes a lot of sense to my uh, little liberal arts mind, so I appreciate that. Well, yeah, and well, hopefully to our audience too. Now, there's a lot of things I'm leaving out there uh, um, in detail, but it's primarily it's okay. what the difference is. But I don't like... Well, be, and, and you'll hear in one a couple of my podcasts with nuclear knowledge um, that, you know, 100 kilotons of from a nuclear weapon is just the amount of energy from the nuclear weapon and 100 kilotons from a conventional weapon. Um, they are, you know, the same amount of energy. I'll even say, and it's what always bothers me with hurricanes and with nuclear reactors. And I said, Chernobyl detonated, you know, Chernobyl exploded with the same force of so many kilotons and people go, Oh, it's a nuclear bomb. Well, it wasn't a nuclear bomb because the timing, the amount of energy given off over time is different. But when you're comparing two nuclear weapons, yield is okay. Um, as long as you think of that uh, within, within reason. So the point is that what matters most is your ability to direct energy, the release of energy in the direction you want it to go. Yes, and cause the effects that you want it to cause. Right, right. Because, so, I mean, we sometimes do. Sometimes energy goes into other things. But go ahead. We do have, um, I mean, the, what is it, the W88 on the Trident D5? I think the estimated yield for that is... I think I read 475 kilotons. That, that's what CSIS estimates. So we have larger yield, even in mm-hmm. our modern arsenal. We've got larger yield weapons, but they don't have the ability to achieve the effect that that the 6113 will achieve. So that, you know, so all things are not alike and i think your point about yield is it's it's not just about the yield you and i in fact did an article in which and you sent me some some tables from calculations where we were looking at a 10 kiloton yield and we were looking at you know 150 kiloton and a 400 kiloton yield and that this is not linear in the sense that a 400 kiloton yield does not produce effects no. 40 times larger than a 10 kiloton yield. In fact, right. in most cases, it might be three times larger, 40 times the yield, but only three times larger the effect. Mm-hmm. And so the ability to channel effects is is really important. Yeah. And, and where that energy goes. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, let me, let me throw in here as we wrap things up here. Um, there was... Uh, a piece by um, by Matthew Galt in uh, in Vice dot com commenting on this new bomb, and uh, what interested me about this particular piece is his quotes from several members of the um, of the international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons, uh, the disarmament community, uh, and what did they think about this new uh, new and improved. B61 
Um, and, and Jim, you talked about how this, this would be, this accuracy will lower collateral damage and, and be more useful and these sorts of things. And more reliable. And more reliable. Well, clearly the icon folks don't agree with that because there's just their sort of knee jerk reaction. Quote, this is an irresponsible escalation of the new nuclear arms race, which is seeing the U S lead the other nuclear arms states in the modernization of their nuclear arsenals. This is by Melissa Park, the executive director of the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, in a statement that she said about America's new gravity bomb. And she goes on to say, quote, we call on Washington to cancel this weapons program and its other modernization plans and instead honor its commitment under the NPT to engage in talks and achieve in nuclear disarmament. So, um, so that's one statement. Um, hey, hey, Curtis. Yeah, yeah. What if you're looking for an example of the blind leading the blind? That was just a good one. So yes. just keep that in mind. That's what the blind leading the blind looks right. like. She goes on to say, "Quote: The use of such a weapon, this would be the B sixty one thirteen, likely." Uh, involve indiscriminately killing civilians and destroying critical infrastructure that would be a war crime. That's not what you describe this to be, Jim. So is Miss Melissa Park incorrect in her ass- assessment? Well, again, a red herring issue. Um, it, it would be very difficult to say that anyone would get into a nuclear fight and would not have some deaths of civilians. Uh, unfortunately, that's... Uh, when you're dropping very large weapons and you have large damage, uh, that's going to happen. That's part of war. That's why we don't want war. That's why NIDS that's is right. a peace organization. That's right. I don't want to see that. However, um, that that is part of what comes with war. But again, if you have a more accurate, a safer, more reliable, more uh, more uh, safe nuclear weapon, one that won't kill civilians while it's sitting in a bunker, let's say. We've never had that happen, by the way. Thank you, National Labs, for building all of that safety in our nuclear weapons. Um, but any of the, all those steps that are going into this weapon that have been announced are all done not to make them you know, unreliable, going off where they don't need to, more dirty, more anything else. This is an, a tailorable to the target that's being fired upon, that is all good. Because, you know, dumb bombs, as Adam said, you know, gravity bombs, they are not as accurate as, at least I don't think they are, as accurate as cruise missiles. Um, Maybe you'll correct me on that. I'm not part of that community. Um, But my guess is anything falling through the sky is going to have less accuracy. The CEP is a little bit bigger. Uh, and uh, and therefore, making it more accurate is better. If if you agree that somewhere along the line, we would have a nuclear war, or we're trying to scare someone from having one. <laughs> that help? It does. It helps a lot. It, it, uh, I'll just remind the audience that there's been estimates that uh, during the Cold War in the 1970s, that the Soviet Union spent upwards of two percent of its GDP building underground. Uh, bunkers and facilities, many of those which still exist today. So, and these were these were the targets of concern, even in the Carter administration, as the second uh, nuclear generation was being was being 
coordinated and funded uh, the Peacekeeper missile, the the B-1 bomber, uh, and the Trident, uh, the first-generation Trident missile. Curtis, I'm going to take one other shot at the article you had before Adam here is trying to signal that we need to finish here. And that is that you said we are leading other countries in the uh, the world in modernization no, I mean, of our Ms. Melissa Park said that. Yes, uh, well, I, no, I, that's who I meant. Yes. Yeah, so I, I couldn't remember the name. I'm terrible with names. I continue to call you Allison. But anyway, um, or whatever it is, <laughs> Stephanie. Whatever. Much prettier than Allison. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but um, <laughs> but my uh, but uh, to Melissa uh, to her comment. If we're leading, what has Russia been doing since 1992 in building their nuclear weapon force and modernizing and building new weapons? And what has China been doing since 1992 that we haven't been doing for a long time and why we're playing catch up? So I, the fact that we're leading the world in this, I think, is a, is a little bit overstated. Yeah, much easier to criticize the West. <laughs> Go ahead, Danim. Well, thanks again to you, Jim and Curtis. We had a chance to, you know, I never thought a discussion about a new variant of the B-61 would be so lively, but apparently it was a topic that had a lot of passion uh, on the part of each one of us, which is always good, you know, it means we like what we do, I guess. I think numbers matter. We got to keep numbers. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So thanks for joining us. And of course, thanks to you, the listeners. We wouldn't have a show without you. And as always, we want to remind you to think deterrence. Thank you for listening to this week's The Nuclear View. We hope you found it engaging and valuable. The Nuclear View is released each Wednesday and is a production of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies, a 501c3 organization. We are dependent upon donations to provide our podcasts. Every donation helps keep this and many other deterrence-related activities happening and helps to bring about awareness of the peacekeeping value of U.S. strength and of our national deterrence. We occasionally answer questions from our valued listeners. If you wish to send us questions on a topic, please send your email to asknids at thinkdeterrence.com. That's asknids, one word, the at symbol, and thinkdeterrenceoneword.com. If you enjoyed this show, check out our other weekly podcast, Nuclear Knowledge. You can catch all of our podcasts at thinkdeterrence.com under the Deterrence Podcast tab. We thank our producer, Kimberly Charrington, our sponsors, and all the fantastic members of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies for making this podcast possible. Stay tuned next week for another exciting and informative nuclear view where we want to advance peace promote stability, and remind you to always think deterrence.